Hey everyone, this is Bites Camera Action, the movie podcast for people who normally listen to tech podcasts. That's what we're going with, it's locked in. Today we're talking about Wally Pfister's 2014 film Transcendence. It's a masterpiece. Okay, well, actually, I don't want to uh, bias the panel here. Uh, Kevin, what do you think about Transcendence? I thought it was a masterpiece. Or, I mean, (laughs) I was hoping it was going to be a masterpiece, and it wasn't quite that, but it wasn't exactly not that either. I would agree with that assessment. Uh, It was whoever described it last week as, like, Lucy, but trying to be smart. And the fact that it tries to be smart kind of ruins it. (laughs) That is on point. (laughs) You know, you know, when all the characters are supposed to be AI researchers, like, you know, instead of just random, you know, girl who gets superpowers, it really throws everything into stark contrast. Joel, what do you think of it? Yeah, it definitely had several like components of a masterpiece. Uh, I don't really know. What in particular I'd say was lacking? Like, what's the missing piece? It feels like there is one. It feels like it feels uh, like it was polished. I'll, I'll say this, and then maybe you can sound off whatever uh, this sparks in you. It feels like it was polished in a way that like is deserving of a masterpiece, but there's some missing substance. Yeah, that sounds about right. It didn't it didn't bring any new ideas to the table, but you know, for someone who uh, was not already you know hadn't already been hearing about the singularity. And, you know, didn't go to MIT where, you know, I guess these ideas probably are discussed more frequently than other places. You know, you can imagine this just being like a whole roller coaster of new ideas. I, d- I don't know if anyone is is unaware of the concept of runaway AI at this point. But, you know, in 2014, if someone, you know, we're like two years away from ImageNet and like just at the infancy of the whole AI boom we're in, I could I could see it, uh, you know, blowing some blowing some minds. Yeah, I th- okay, and this too. I think you have to give it credit for the cliche movie that it could have been and wasn't. So specifically, like, if you're going to make a movie about the concept of runaway AI or something, it would be very, very easy to make it just really vividly, you know, black and white, where the AI is just taking over the internet and, like, killing people and going crazy. And it's not that at all. It actually depicts an AI that's, like, incredibly peaceful and clearly has at least some version of good intentions for like humanity yes i was thrilled on the other hand oh uh on the other hand i feel like the the idea the trope of a peaceful ai um kind of was in vogue around 2013 to 2014 when this movie came out i mean uh just the year earlier there was her uh around the same time there's lucy and lucy's not a particularly malevolent ai i think um there's certainly a lot of precedent with the older movies like Terminator and uh, uh, stuff like that, where any sort of super intelligence was necessarily going to be malevolent. Um, and there was a sort of uh, a wave in response to that, which I, I think this movie sort of fits in, uh, which is kind of saying, okay, maybe maybe super intelligence doesn't have to be a bad thing but because it wasn't really the first i'm not sure it even really broke ground um yeah i think it was just sort of like another has been in a wave of interesting ideas responding to a 
larger uh, sort of trend. Was was there something before Lucy? Uh, well, her, for instance. Or sorry, yeah, her. Okay, twenty thirteen. So it was it was off by a year, basically. I'm trying to think back to any other, basically any other uh, benevolent AIs in movies. Period. I mean, the bad examples are easy to come up with. You know, going back to two thousand one, uh, I Robot. I guess Eagle Eye had some AI that you know, with the Shia LaBeouf movie, had some AI that tried to take over the Defense Network. All the Terminators. Am I missing anything? <laughs> There's Vision and Ultron, which is a little bit of both. That's true. Vision was what Avengers. That was 2015, so that was a year after this. Also with Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany had yeah. a little, uh, you know, super intelligence robot <laughs> run there. Yeah, it, it's interesting that um, it, it seems like a lot of these uh, characters that were in the uh, in Transcendence uh, have like movie careers that also. Uh, have overlap with other sort of uh, benevolent AI movies. <laughs> Who are you thinking in, in particular? Morgan Freeman. Um, well, Morgan I mean, Freeman. in particular, I was thinking about Morgan Freeman, who in Lucy plays the same character of a sort of scientist uh, secondary character that stands around and mostly doesn't do anything. Yes. And is some AI researcher that is ill-defined. He basically finished his, you know... Uh, his you know summer break in paris and you know during lucy like the summer of lucy and then decided to come back to the u.s and then immediately all of his graduate students get murdered with poison sucks <laughs> uh yeah really there were there are several movies in one here uh i you know by the end of this you've essentially forgotten that you know there's like a coordinated terrorist attack uh that killed you know most of the members or staff members of every major AI lab in the country. It, it seems to be there's like, and this might be true in real life, but you know, the movie would like you to believe there's maybe four or five like serious AI labs all kind of collaborating on the AGI question. Uh, and yeah, they all get uh, killed in various ways or, you know, I guess we don't know exactly how many casualties there are. There are um, I, I, I one entire mentioned... team is wiped out. I guess Paul Bettany's team uh, right. as well as all of Morgan Freeman's team, which is the poison. I, I mentioned earlier how weird or like off I felt Kate Mara's character was. And I think part of that is also that like when you cast, I don't know, it, the character that she tried to play was clearly supposed to be, you're supposed to be sympathetic toward her in some way. Uh, and not only did she not really have like the gravitas uh, necessary to play, you know, a neo-Luddite anarchist who is deeply driven for something, it, she also doesn't do it in a way that lets you forgive her for like organizing the mass killing of like lots of just people yes absolutely so it's just like these in, in, yeah these like incongruous stuff that's like thrown together you can't like make sense this was her bad blonde wig audition that got her the part in fan four stick i believe <laughs> <laughs> fan four stick really leveled up the bad blonde wig game though to preposterous levels have you guys seen that movie no, but we were talking about it last time because it ended Miles Teller's career. <laughs> <laughs> that is extremely true. With the exception of War Dogs and, you know, well, just his weird, like, run of military movies that he's inexplicably been on since he, you know, basically since starring in, well, that Divergent movies and Critical Darling, you know, Shailene Woodley vehicle, The Spectacular Now, and now he's just, like, full macho dumb movies uh for the last four years and uh war dogs 
uh, get a job i think i mentioned was incredible uh and no one no one should watch it that that was really get a job was like some new low for brian cranston post uh you know post breaking bad like he's been in a lot like one prestige oscar movie a year but he just fills out the rest of his schedule by being in the worst movies ever uh some other movie with morgan freeman where they're all retirees on a road trip terrible reviews get a job terrible reviews uh what else some uh james franco movie oh why him he's like the disapproving father of you know some young young actress who's engaged to james uh to james franco and just you know like clowns on james franco the whole movie i mean Wait, Miles Miles Tyler? he's not even that old no 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 uh brian cranston oh brian cranston okay <laughs> wow this, conver- <laughs> this conversation has been very different in your head than it was in <laughs> Okay, I, 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 here's what I'm thinking about right now. What do you think Morgan Freeman feels or like thinks about the roles that he gets? Because he has so many like supporting characters, plays the same type of guy in all these movies, you know, really heavily typecast. What do you think he thinks about his movie career? Like, how does he take it? What's it like to be him? Because I have clearly, no idea. like, you know, someone pitches something and says, hey, you know, we've got this new movie, Transcendence 2014. We want you to play, you know, the guy. And he says, okay. And he does it time and time again. <laughs> uh, this raises an interesting question about his entire, like, movie star, or I, I don't know if you would call him a movie star. His entire career, like, it's not like he's settling for these roles now. Like, there's right. barely any movies where he's actually the lead. Right. I don't think I've seen any of them, uh, if they exist at all. <laughs> like he's always just there as some like personification of like God. stability or right or gravitas, uh, and that's you know he's always like the leader of some move you know the movement or whatever the B plot is. He's like some leader figure in the B plot, and it's just the perfect Freeman role. Uh, I assume he's come to terms with it at this point. Uh, he got a Best Actor Oscar nomination for The Shawshank Redemption. Best actor, yeah, that is wild. I mean, he's not the lead of that movie, is he? I mean, that's got to uh, be controversial. The lead, the lead is really Tim Robbins, right? But he is like kind of the most memorable character. Yeah, that's one of those weird edge cases with best actor and best supporting. Huh. Yeah, I guess so. Must be a little it ends on him. If you could uh, be a supporting character and somehow uh, win best actor while snubbing. Uh, or, or while demoting your lead actor to best supporting. Yeah. Well, I wonder if they even ran uh, Tim Robbins like in best supporting or best actor rather. Like, I don't know. I, they kind of have to like uh, when they do the marketing for these awards. You know, they do the four-year consideration right. campaign, so they have to kind of choose right. which eggs they're going to put in their basket. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe they just they just threw Robbins under the bus. Looks like they were both nominated for the Screen Actors Guild Award. Uh, but yeah, just uh, just Freeman for Best Actor. There's a story there for sure. So Seven, he was in Seven. That's kind of a two-hander with Brad Pitt. Uh, Glory, he's the... Is he the... Hmm, no, Glory is mostly Denzel as the lead guy. I've never seen Driving Miss Daisy. Dark Knight Trilogy, super supporting role. I guess he's in, yeah, Bruce Almighty, like Joel said. Iconic. Weird career. So, yeah, yeah. In conclusion, I'm sure he's happy being that guy 
in all of his movies because that's kind of what he's been all along. Okay, where do we want to where do we want to go in this movie? Uh, it takes about what thirty minutes before they develop strong AI by seeding a quantum computer with the consciousness of Johnny Depp. Spoiler alert. To connect the plot points we've mentioned so far, there's a terrorist group, a neo-Luddite terrorist group called Rift, that decides to kill all the prominent AI researchers. Uh, Johnny Depp gets shot with a polonium-laced bullet, uh, which apparently gives him 30 days to live, as, as, you, as you do. Uh, in that 30 days is just enough time for Johnny Depp, his genius scientist wife, and his genius scientist friend Paul Bettany, to attempt to upload his brain into the quantum computer called PIN. I do not recall what PIN stands for. P-I-N-N. don't think we ever saw it. Yeah, I don't think they even say it. Uh, this is maybe, this is something that I particularly love. Uh, in fact, it's just my one joke for this episode that I'm extremely proud of. There is like a two-minute training montage as they literally train <laughs> the neural network to like become Johnny Depp's brain. Where it's just like Johnny Depp with like hooked up to like a million lead EK, uh, you know, uh, EEG, just saying words in sequence, and like. You mean a Neuralink? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's basically what it looks like. The what Neuralink has like, uh, they only have that one chip in Neuralink, right? With like, yeah, that's like a ten by ten grid or how many how many uh electrodes are there on this? I think it's it, it's pretty high density. I think it's like a hundred by a hundred, at okay. least. It looked, it was like Neuralinks were attached to, you know, as densely packed as you could get them on the surface of his head, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm looking at the scene, I'm looking at the montage that you're talking about, and they have like a computer screen with like the Oxford Dictionary, those words in t- the title at the top, and like slowly scrolling while he's like looking at them and reciting which, each word in the Oxford Dictionary. Which I think was a great, uh, that's a great indicator of this movie being, being pretty smart. Like being pretty well researched, like I was, I was like, oh yeah, that's a that's a great way of just like, you know, like at some point you've got some like word vectors or whatever that you've you know your system that knows what you know has its own internal representation of the words, and then you've got to somehow just do a mapping to what Johnny Depp's brain thinks, you know, what the internal vector representation of those words are in his brain, and uh, it's just like a really easy like you know end to end mapping that you that you would have to do with some sort of training data set like this. Wow, uh, wait, I think you're giving it way too much credit. I think when the filmmakers are making this, they intended to give the impression that the computer was just learning the sound of his voice and that's it. Interesting. It's a radically different interpretation. I think you're I, I think you're being way too charitable. But if if I could totally be wrong. If I'm wrong and you're right, I agree. That's very, uh, that, mm. that's very like impressive. That's well thought out. That is kind of upsetting. I mean, I, I think it does sort of indicate that um, they at least had some like reasonably competent, like uh, like scientists look over the script uh, and like tone down anything that didn't make sense. Because uh, I, I can totally imagine this kind of scene being written uh, in any number of ways that like belies that the writers didn't really have a solid grasp of what was going on. And it, it seemed like, as a whole, most of the parts of it were pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some parts where the writers didn't seem to have what was going on, or to have, a, have an understanding? Huh. Well, I, I think the, like, in my mind, the sort of, like, biggest, like, uh, 
Well, in my mind, it seems a little weird that uh, he manages to like upload himself t- uh, to the cloud uh, and basically have all this like dominion over physical objects uh, and like the financial markets and all of that, uh, and then like decide to like centralize himself inside a data center where he's vulnerable to attack. Um, like that to me didn't make a huge amount of sense. Yeah, given. I think what they established in kind of act two here, act three should have had no chance of succeeding, but yeah, I don't, but I, it's not clear to me that act three ever had any chance of succeeding. I mean, like he knew immediately he, as soon as the plan was presented to kill him. He with clearly voluntarily sort of chose it at the very end. He knew immediately that that was going to be their plan and like didn't seem to be actively trying to avoid it. Uh, yeah. The counterpoint there would be the very end of this movie where Rebecca Hall you know, he's just standing there idly uh, as Rebecca Hall gets blown up by a, you know, a mortar. And that actually does present a moral dilemma, seemingly, where he, like, actually does not have the capability of both uploading her and saving her life physically at the same time. I But I can't tell if that was just something he said or not. <laughs> like, it was just this weird, like, hostage negotiation, like, kind of yeah. vibe to it. And I didn't know if it was a bluff. Wait, I, I think the only reasonable interpretation of the ending of this movie is that in the end, he, uh, Johnny Depp, Will Casper, just voluntarily chose to uh, take the virus and like shut himself down. And it wasn't really because of saving anyone's life. It was more just because people were telling him, do it. Or uh, I actually think it's, it's, it's uh, something that um, uh, one of the like sort of questions of uh, this movie is like, who is this like uploaded version of Will Caster? Uh, who is this cyber cyber Will or Chrome Caster? Uh, uh, is is he uh, actually Pin? Because uh, uh, when they first introduced the Pin supercomputer, uh, Morgan Freeman uh, or uh, Killian Murphy asks uh, like, "Hey Pin, can you like prove to me that you're you're conscious?" Uh, and uh, Pin answers with this uh, like. Uh, what is it? Uh, that's a hard question. Like, can you prove to me that you are conscious, right? Um, and when uh, Morgan Freeman does the same question on like Chromecaster, uh, he answers in exactly the same way. Um, and right. so that's supposed to like make us sort of think, oh, who actually is uh, this uploaded entity? Uh, is it um, is it Will? Uh, is it Pin? Uh, and then there's, uh, or is it something created by Evelyn? Uh, and the created by Evelyn thing is something that they, uh, dive into a little bit more. They hint at when, uh, uh, they sort of ask, like, is Will's behavior consistent with, um, like the will that we knew? Because, uh, in the Ted talk in the beginning, like, Will never wanted to change the world. Um, and he was content with basically just like understanding things. Whereas Evelyn was the one who was like, no, we've got to heal the earth, heal the climate and like fix all these sorts of social issues. Um, and we see that like this will entity once uploaded, uh, like makes like builds up all this infrastructure to create like material, like changes to the world and heal the earth and, do large scale like nano engineering, um, and to a certain extent, the the uploaded will is much more of a manifestation of the desires of Evelyn, 
Uh, that is, it, it's much more of a like creation of Evelyn's than uh, a copy of Will. Um, and so, interesting. I think one of these sort of interesting questions is like, who is this uploaded thing? Is it Pin? Is it Evelyn? Uh, is it like the manifestation of Evelyn's desires, or uh, was Will uploaded with fidelity? Uh, and when it comes to this, like sort of uh, him sort of arguably committing suicide at the end, like uh, if Will is actually a manifestation of uh, Evelyn's desires, hearing and finding out that Evelyn no longer appreciates uh, what he's doing uh, might be enough. Like maybe that's why he like decides that actually living in this form isn't worth living. Uh, and maybe he should uh, like just be teardrops in the rain. <laughs> uh, good poll. Uh, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of evidence to be brought to the, to the table here. So going back, the thing that was mentioned, you know, the kind of line that Chromecaster repeats, you know, the, can you prove that you're self-aware, you know, when that was said initially, you know, in the early scene where pin uses that line, someone makes some offhand comment like, you know, well, well, Will, it's got your sense of humor. And so, like, it seems like Will, you know, that's not so much a reflection. Well, it, you know, that line being repeated, I think, is to be seen as a reflection of Will again, not a reflection of Pin, necessarily. Wow, that's really interesting, because I remember both of those, and both of them seem like, uh, like, concrete, intentional evidence in opposite directions. Like, it is conspicuous to repeat the exact same thing, and the characters in the movie react to it the second time as if it's evidence that it is Will. Mm -hmm. That is... Hmm. Oh, you you think... Yeah, I guess they do. They don't... They certainly don't, you know, immediately tense up and be like, oh, yeah, that's Pin. There's no, you know, dramatic music. Yeah. But somewhere in the touring of the facility, Morgan Freeman does come uh, to the realization that there is that's right. malicious... You know, something malicious happening. Um, right, because you know, he, he writes doesn't on the piece get of paper. so explicit as to say that's not Will you know, just in the actual story. Like, that's mostly Paul Bettany's job. Um, so it, we don't really know where Morgan Freeman lands on it. Uh, but presumably, well, you know, assuming that you equate, you know, the entity being malicious and it not being Will, then, you know, I guess Morgan Freeman probably, you know, he could have interpreted that line as being a reflection of Pin instead of Will. Actually, yeah, wait, I think this does check out, right? So it's Morgan Freeman who said, well, he's got Will's sense of humor or something, right? Mm -hmm. And then shortly thereafter, after they exit the facility, is when Morgan Freeman uh, writes his awkwardly worded warning message on a piece of paper, run from this place, uh, and <laughs> hands it to Evelyn. Yep. So maybe it really is consistent. Uh, it's supposed to be actually a reflection of him. And Morgan Freeman, when he responded, well, it's got his sense of humor, was actually putting on a front so that he could warn her secretly. Yeah, it does feel like the movie never really wrestles with the fact that Paul Bettany and Morgan Freeman were wrong all along. You know, they were all staunchly, you know, opposed to this basically as soon as it came online, like even before it demonstrated any tendencies towards, you know, runaway super intelligence ambitions, uh, at least Paul Bettany was. And then at the end, you know, the movie, you know, textually is pretty explicit. Like you have the the you know like johnny depp synthetic human you know entity like talking to rebecca hall and you know it's 
uh, to Evelyn rather. And it's, you know, he specifically says like, yes, it's me, Will. Like it was me all along. Uh, and that seems to be the movie's like final, final line on the subject. But then the movie ends before, you know, we, it tries to square and square any of the uh, corners essentially. Do you think overall the movie is supposed to leave you with the impression that it's a tragedy that the humans didn't trust the AI and missed out on having all these things that it could have given us? Or is the impression supposed to be that uh, overall it was a runaway AI that was bad and it was good that they uh, found some way to get it to destroy itself? Or do you think the impression is intentionally ambiguous? Hmm. Uh, I'm interested in both of your answers. I feel like it was a little bit of, like, I think uh, this was probably the movie that happened uh, for Wally, like, shortly after Inception, right? And uh, I, I feel like the... Four years, I think. Four years. Um, uh, and I feel like they, they were kind of trying to go for the, like, spinning top moment. Like, you're supposed to, like, be pondering some sort of deep philosophical question, like, when you left the theaters, um, and I think this was what they were trying to do, or like, this was the question that I think you were supposed to ponder, like, was it actually, um, was Will good? Should they have done this or should they not have? Um, and I, I felt like there was a little bit too much textually for, um, you to really wrestle with it. I, I felt like the plot was a little bit too specific about like what happened and what would have happened. Um, whereas I think it might've actually benefited uh, from a little bit more ambiguity. You're referring to the fact that, you know, we are shown the fact that the AI was actively trying to, like, clean up the rivers and, you know, solve yeah. deforestation and stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I think he was a little bit too benevolent. Uh, um, like, it was a little bit too clearly benevolent. It is I, a weird... I felt like they compensated for that at the very end by showing him manufacturing a bunch of synthetic humans. And that was supposed to be the sort of like, <gasps> it's bad moment, or at least yeah. the weight on the other end of, is it good, is it bad? Yeah, I think it does come back to that kind of option three, which is, if, if this, you know, this maybe isn't Will, it's maybe Evelyn, Evelyn's idealized version of Will. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, she, that, she didn't bake in all the parameters that were kind of implicit in her head of what she wants Will to be, uh, including, as an example, you know, valuing autonomy and you know self you know self determination since hate it when i forget those <laughs> yeah like it's kind of an unforgivable thing when you take you know have the ability to hijack human brains uh at at a whim um you can't really come back from that but it is also the kind of thing that like someone would forget to put in their constraint-based solver of, of you know right. for their ai yeah and i think to a certain extent if what got uploaded was the version of Will that Evelyn wanted. Uh, it, it would probably be more the version of Will that Evelyn has always pushed Will to be. Um, and the thing is that since Will has the natural inclination towards sort of inaction, uh, when it got uploaded, uh, these ideas never really hit that sort of natural resistance. Uh, and it just sort of became the pure manifestation of like a sort of unchecked will that wouldn't have happened if these were just ideas that she suggested to the real one. Interesting. Uh, there is some textual evidence for the fact that this, the creation uh, of will is, you know, Evelyn's impression of will. Uh, specifically, she is 
listing all of the, uh, you know, techniques that she tried. You know, she took presumably the raw data from the training montage and then tried the following three techniques to take that data and turn it into AGI. Uh, those three, of course, being uh, language processing, cryptography, and coding. And so they they did, they covered all the bases with number three there. So truly anything could have happened uh, to, conform, to convert this raw data into an AGI. Well done, Wally. I, I was under the impression that coding was like, in reference to like coding theory, like Reed Solomon. This is like the third example of us giving this movie way too much credit, <laughs> but I'll bite. Kevin, what on earth is coding theory like Reed Solomon? Like error correcting um, codes. Yeah, like error correcting codes. Like, like the, because uh, it, it, it's, it's analogous to all of the other things because like language processing is about like symbols uh, at a sort of high level. Cryptography is about symbols at a sort of low, like transpositional level. And then coding is kind of just like, uh, you, you have some sort of uh, sequence of symbols, like how can you redundantly yeah. uh, like encode and decode uh, uh, to some sort of lossy medium. Oh, and, like, and, I think they actually well, fit together. You need uh, error correcting codes for quantum computing like in the first place. So if PIN is a quantum computer, you don't even have to reach that far to find uh, coding as like one of the topics that would come up. Okay. I, I bet right. it's on. I bet if one of the writers went to like the Wikipedia page for quantum computing because they would refer to that in like the headlines or something, uh, they would have seen coding mentioned as like one of the ingredients. And it is referred to, you know, idiomatically as just coding, not coding theory. I mean, if you're if you're in like the field, then you would, right? Like, you you definitely wouldn't say coding if you're like talking to a mass audience, but like. This might be like some 4D chess that uh, they're kind of doing, which is um, like this is that would be how it would be described probably uh, to someone who's like in that field uh, and they're just like talking to their colleague. Uh, but if like you're not sure if the audience is aware that you know what you know, then you probably wouldn't use such a shorthand because they might think that you're actually making a dumb mistake. Um, right. Yeah. What a perfect, just pristine example of Wally Fister being too smart for his own good. <laughs> yeah. He was like, you know, well, you know, coding is like the third, you know, most probable solution to this problem. But everyone that hears it is just going to think I mean programming and think it sounds stupid, except for the one person who's aware of error correcting coding theory. Oh, let's just go with it. I I'm confident that's exactly like uh, the things that one of the things that he wrestled with here. <laughs> Uh, no, the fact that cryptography is number two means that they were already so far off the rails that they just landed on coding like programming. I'm going ex to justify that one, Kevin. Uh, wait, that cryptography was number two? Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, because cryptography, like, like, all of these uh, deal with symbols and, uh, and, and, like, encoding and decoding and interpreting sequences of symbols. I, like, I, I think all of these are sort of tangentially related fields. Tangentially. Great word. Tangentially, like, Great word like because tangentially of... <laughs> adjacently. Like, I mean, they're not, they're not like, they're not far away. Like, I, I'm sure if you, like, did uh, T-SNE on, like, the paper graph, uh, you'd probably find that uh, language processing, cryptography, and coding are, like, rather proximate or rather adjacent. Compared to, like, cryptography and politics uh, and, like, Albuquerque. Yeah. 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 I'll allow it. But cryptography like you don't want your data to be encrypted 
when you're trying to well, operate on it in a logical way. It's like well, almost... no, but but the thing is that why it, not? Um, what, what makes sense <laughs> is that um, she's trying to decode uh, his brain, right? Uh, and essentially, there's some sort of mapping um, between like the latent representation, which is the one that got captured, uh, and like the computational representation inside the sort of pin matrix, uh, and they're trying to like, in essence, uh, derive the cipher um, hmm. that like translates from one representation to another. And so, I, I think actually drawing from cryptography as inspiration makes a fair amount of sense. Okay, I'll take it. I guess. Begrudgingly. Um, that said, uh, in, in sort of right after the training montage, uh, there's this like uh, suspenseful moment where, for some reason, very conveniently, uh, the terrorists manage to find uh, exactly where this random building is very quickly. And right as they're driving up, uh, Evelyn notices uh, and then uh, tries to uh, like quickly upload Will to the cloud. Uh, and right when the progress bar is about to start, like uh, Kate Mara manages to like shut off the power, um, but uh, and, and there's like a suspenseful like few minutes where you're not really sure uh, if Will died in the process of uploading, but then he like sort of uh, shows up uh, in, in pretty much the same way that uh, I think uh, what, what was that movie Eagle Eye? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the same way. Did... Like shows up on the phone with like some like blocked number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Similar kind of thing to Lucy as well. I mean, just, you know, immediately they get, you know, full control over the electromagnetic spectrum and can, can send telephone calls. I mean, that's easy yeah. enough. He just like created a free account on, on Twilio. Voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, like the nice thing, like the thing that's like smarter about transcendence is like someone who really had no idea what they were doing would say that like Will like got power over the electromagnetic spectrum and could therefore like place calls with his head like that's just like something that would be it'd be it very easily happen if you were like for instance the director or writer of lucy and they didn't fall for any of those traps that is very true and they didn't try to really visualize anything i mean lucy they went so far a little bit uh they, they had a pretty lucy-esque sequence when they animated him like navigating through like like they they had like a very quick flash montage of like lots of web pages and a little visualization of like the city skyline disappearing and like graphs and electrical signals remaining in its like silhouette frame. They had they indulged in that for I think just one little sequence. Hmm. I don't remember the skyline thing. That sounds cool. I mean in general there's a lot of good visual stuff in here. Uh I'm mostly well, you know, Lucy was you know basically lost that lost it as soon as they started having like you know visual little like strings where lucy could manipulate radio waves and like cell signals but then obviously goes off the off the rails you know to a far greater degree as soon as she you know it completely forgets about physics and she gets the ability to control you know matter with her mind uh i think there were it was interesting how this movie stays kind of smart about the limitations of yeah like the technology like most notably for me was the fact that you know this didn't all happen over the course of like you know 18 hours like it does in lucy where like you know sure exponentials are exponential but like you know if the uh, exponent isn't that big or if the base rather isn't that big then like 
you know, these things can still unfold over a period of years and not a period of, of hours. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not a guarantee he gets full control of matter, you know, particularly uh, quickly. And even like there are even limitations on the nanotechnology that Johnny Depp was able to create, you know, within two years where like it can't move very fast. It kind of just yeah. like generates these kind of vine like structures. But like it's not like it just like I don't even know what a point of comparison is it just kind of like moves towards you like relatively slowly, like at walking pace maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then like holds you down. Uh, That's because he's peaceful. If he wanted to do something worse, he could have. But you don't get the sense that it could just turn into like a gun or a computer or something ridiculous. Like, yeah. You know, or but, like, the, like in general that things happen slowly also is another thing that just kind of makes me upset about the, sort of sequence where he just gets uploaded to the cloud immediately like masters uh like how to make millions of dollars a second on the stock market and like hacks into everything like it it, it just seems like it, it it seems like a scene that's outside out of lucy uh like it, it seems like an apotheosis scene uh where in the entire rest of the film it's like pretty reasonable about like the pace of his development and like his capabilities that's true the stock market thing in particular was pretty unfortunate i think yeah they got a million dollars in like three seconds so like if you you know project that over the course of the you know two-year time jump then they should have accumulated all the wealth on planet yeah. earth yeah like more than elon musk more than elon musk i mean maybe they didn't because again he's benevolent and he's just you know uh he doesn't want to upset things he has everything that he wants, needs. Yeah, but benevolent is still a, is still a tough sell towards anyone who takes over people's brains. It's like the Wonder Woman 1984 problem, as it shall henceforth be referred to. If you can, have you guys, you guys haven't seen it, have you? No, I've seen it. Oh, great. I've seen it. So, spoiler alert, you know, Steve Trevor comes back using the power of a magical wishing stone, but he doesn't just, like, appear out of thin air. His consciousness is transplanted into the mind of some random dude. Uh, and so, like, it's technically, like, a different body. Like, he's in a different person's body who just, like, has no say in the situation. Uh, and then the movie kind of, like, does a little visual trick where Diana says, like, you know, even though it's not your body, all I see is you. And then he transforms into Chris Pine for the rest of the movie, you know, as you do. Uh, but well, then it the establishes this so that, like, every like when... Uh, like Wonder Woman takes him to bed. Like if you really like think about it, that's like it's a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. So like, holy it, shit, <laughs> it is that exact it, that exact uh, conundrum. And you know, as we now know from Wonder Woman 1984, it's it's fine. And so yeah, you know what? In retrospect, uh, Will Caster was totally benevolent because Wonder Woman has told us that you know, full taking full control of someone's body without their permission is a totally acceptable thing, and that's canon. And yeah, Transcendence was just ahead of its time. It, it reminds me, uh, Transcendence like reminded me a little bit of that um, Rick and Morty episode with Unity, um, because I, I think there yeah. was um, the the character that uh, the, the first character to get like turned into a hybrid was like just uh, mugged by these like thugs, right? Uh, and then a few uh, scenes later, like the thugs are also turned into hybrids, and they're like much more peaceful then. Mm -hmm. uh, so I felt like there was a, there was a like a thing that it was trying to say that like 
look everyone in this like uh like sort of abandoned areas probably addicted to drugs and generally a ne'er-do-well and uh by rejecting everyone's agency there will is actually making their lives better yeah that's a whole other narrative to unpack yeah. Yeah, it's like, and like, I feel like if they were like, I feel like they were trying to say that, but like, uh, just realize that they had nowhere near enough time to like, do that plotline justice. Uh, And so they just kind of hint at it in a sort of unsatisfying way. Interesting. I mean, not to, again, fully, like, if they were trying to make that point initially, uh, they do a pretty nuanced job of it. Since even in the two years on, like, sure, a lot of people have been converted into you know, hybrids and have all their health problems solved, but the town is still pretty decrepit. And like, there's not any real reflections of prosperity or like any major change in circumstance. So like, I want to see what happened to income inequality during the two years <laughs> that Will took over the town. Yeah. Like, did they... The did, smart just keep getting smarter. <laughs> did they renegotiate the contracts with all the contractors? Like, yeah. you know, to pay them more after their entire like bodies became the property of the company no i'm pretty sure they just got rid of health insurance that's that'll do it wild it's a new it's a new interpretation of the term health insurance it's the property that your body ensures that you are healthy by repairing itself (laughs) health e-insurance yeah Yeah. (laughs) i am consistently impressed overall with how I don't know, I keep wanting to say the word subtle, uh, but maybe just like uh, balanced is a better word. How like balanced the movie is. It's not very far in any like crazy direction. It doesn't Absolutely. paint Will as super evil or super good. Uh, it kind of walks this like tenuous line. Uh, it doesn't paint like the post-apocalyptic world as being very post-apocalyptic or dystopic at all. Actually, people are just sort of like milling about without technology. Uh, it seems like kind of okay. Uh, that is true. Yeah, that we haven't even mentioned the fact that this movie, there was a framing device where Paul Bettany is narrating from five years in the future where, you know, they are, well, I guess it was, okay. There's the framing device and then it flashes five years into the past. Uh, and then in the middle, there's a two-year jump, time jump forward. Right. So like roughly, you know, the kind of apocalyptic, time frame is still the case three years after uh after the events you know at the finale which is pretty wild to think and i think you know there was some line like oh yeah they've got they're starting to get cell signal in chicago or something uh three you know after three years yeah i mean uh which is ridiculously impressive if like everything stopped working i don't know how hard of a reset this was i don't know yeah that's the that that's maybe something where it's a little i mean they certainly hand waved it so it could be whatever yeah you know yeah. you want it to be but you know at the at the very least like it couldn't have destroyed all the hardware like you know like physically speaking so like yeah it is a virus right yeah he, it, he it, intentionally anything, that's what i want to know more about is like the specifics of this apocalypse like the specifics of the impact of the virus yeah yeah i i was actually really interested in um that idea that like um computer viruses can be so widespread uh, that like perhaps all like non-air-gapped like computing systems past a certain point have to be considered potentially tainted. Um, like uh, to a certain extent, this is the idea behind uh, like Battlestar Galactica, um, where 
like there's this like sort of vaguely analog starship, which is the only one that survives uh, an AI uprising because it's the one that still uses landlines uh, instead of like uh, like microcontrollers and smart things. Uh, and like in recent uh, weeks and months, uh, we've been seeing like this sort of widespread uh, like compromise of uh, like cyber systems in the United States with this solar systems or solar winds uh, attack, where it turns out some sort of state sponsored adversary has basically had command and control capability within the most secure networks uh, in like the United States for, for potentially years now. Um, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, the idea of, uh, or r rather it made me think of this idea of low background steel. So like um, when making steel, uh, it involves like taking a lot of air and like blowing it into the steel, uh, in into some sort of molten uh, iron uh, and as a consequence, all of the steel that's manufactured since like 1940, uh, since like 1946, when the first like atomic bombs uh, were detonated, um, every piece of steel manufactured since then has some trace radioactive properties. And so in order to uh, build like sensitive uh, scanners, like, uh, like CAT scan machines, uh, what you have to do is you have to like... Uh, pull up old like uh like world war one era like uh submarines uh for scrap metal and you have to melt them down and like build your mri machines out of it because they're like made from uh materials that are known good before like some sort of calamitous action uh, and i think it'd be really interesting if uh people started uh accumulating like computers uh and like keeping them in air gaps um so that like if there was some sort of like widespread network infiltration, you could still be sure that you could use them. Yeah. Interesting. A, a, a very light version of that is people talking about just like uh, dumb phones as uh, quote unquote more secure mobile bot, which is, I know nothing about is probably false, but it's the same vein of idea. There is some like emergency protocol in place. I don't know what organization organizes this, but there's some protocol where like in the event of an like a, nuclear apocalypse different people get like allocated certain pages of wikipedia to print out so like there's still like a complete copy of wikipedia that exists in the world i'm confident i've i've heard about this existing i have no idea who does it maybe the long now i don't know that sounds like interesting a long thing. yeah it really does i was recently i found a new subreddit recently which was just fascinating it's reddit.com r slash uh data hoarders i think oh um, or maybe data hoarding. Let's see. Yeah, I have a little uh, uh, micro SD card that I downloaded the full contents of Wikipedia um, onto. It's actually pretty cheap uh, and pretty small. Um, That's what I've heard. It's like in plain text format. My brother yeah. is uh, just got deployed. Uh, he's in the Navy, and so he's going to be on a uh, aircraft carrier for the next six months with no like minimal internet access. And he downloaded all of Wikipedia in text form nice yeah um, well you can actually include pictures really yeah um and uh there, there's this format called a dot zim uh which is like a indexed archive um so it, it even lets you do like text search um it's like text search images and the like actual content of every article on the english wikipedia uh, and you can fit it in under like 120 gigs 
uh, which is like 30 bucks of SD micro SD card. Counting photos? Yeah. And the zim file like includes the index? Like, yeah. Uh, wow. That is wild. R slash data quarter. Okay, so it's a community where uh, self, uh, self-proclaimed data hoarders share uh, pictures of their setups. So a data hoarder is like someone who, for whatever psychological reason, as far as I can tell, uh, is feels the need to purchase uh, a lot of external storage themselves and then store things, important things, on the internet, from the internet, on their local hard drives, in their, like, bedrooms, basically. And our slash data hoarder is just, like, yeah, people p- sharing pictures of their setups and people, like, commenting, like, oh, it looks great, awesome. Wow. It's oh, really man. strange. This is huge, too. Yeah, and some right. of them are crazy. And it's, like, just, it, it's, like, it's literally hoarding, but just data yeah. from the internet. I love how self-aware they are. The tagline of the subreddit is, it's a digital disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, we have a problem, yes. but there's nothing we can do about it. So we're going to share tips and tricks with everyone else. Uh, there is a mega thread on here with 30,000 upvotes from a day ago, archiving the Capitol Hill riots. Oof. We're recording this a day out from the pro-Trump uh, insurrection of, at, Cap- at the Capitol. And yeah, the post here is archiving videos before potential removal from various websites. Send or comment links of videos you need downloaded. Currently going through POV live streams and replays. Live streams and POVs are of the utmost importance. They are. <laughs> wow. wow. This is great. I almost want to just take a picture of like a micro SD card. <laughs> yeah, and post it and say, read my setup. And it's yeah, read my kind setup. of you get. Do these people just have like petabyte, like, like setups of of persistent storage somehow? I think so. That is wild. I love it. So, there, I'm not going to do a good job of defending this point. The kind of consensus on Rotten Tomatoes, or just critically, uh, I think is something like you know, this movie is dazzling. It goes for a spectacle and succeeds. There's lots of interesting questions raised, and there is like no dramatic tension at all <laughs> oh i disagree it's tricky it's it's subtle i think the tension is not obvious and the tension is like the main point of tension is is this actually good or actually bad and i think that's like i don't know the movie maybe... the 2014 transcendence <laughs> <laughs> uh no is uh, the ai I mean, it benevolent is... or not I, I do agree that that is the main the main point of tension. That's what everything hooks on. It's it, that's uh, whether or not they're they're going to destroy the earth or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe it's not like portrayed in a overtly dramatic way. But I think that's like a really. I, I, I thought it was a really interesting and really valid like source of narrative tension to like string the story around. It's almost like so this movie did atrociously with critics. It's nineteen percent. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's almost like all the critics took it for granted that, you know, of course this was going to be an evil AI movie. And yeah. so, like, they weren't paying attention to the clues, such as they were, yeah. that it maybe was going to subvert that. Oh, yeah, and yeah. so they found it very unearned when it happens and then kind of abruptly ends. Oh, totally, totally. Wait, how about, how about this summary? I think the critics went in with the assumption that it was going to be a bad movie. And then... Their interpretation was that it was bad at being a bad movie, when in fact it was pretty good at being a pretty good movie. 
Interesting. <laughs> because they thought it was going to be a malevolent super intelligence. And then during the movie, they thought, man, the super intelligence isn't malevolent at all. That means the movie sucks. <laughs> they were actively disappointed by how how few expectations or how many expectations were subverted. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they, they didn't uh, build up enough to like how drastic the consequences would be. Um, uh, and like the kinds of trade-offs that uh, um, the government, like uh, like like Killian Murphy's uh, character, uh, like meets up with the terrorists and basically decides we're gonna like shut down like the entire world economy uh, and the internet and like all of technology and like that happens over like drinks at a bar like in like thirty <laughs> seconds. Like th- that decision is like taken so lightly. Um, and I think to a certain extent that, that that's like part of the why it sort of feels like a lot of the decisions uh, in this film don't really pay off. Yeah. Um, because a, there are certain things like that where um, there are like serious implications that aren't like, like, like in, in most movies you kind of like, if something is going to happen that's of consequence, you like sort of dance around, you like point your fingers at it a couple of times. Uh, just to make sure that like everyone's on the same page that this is an important thing, uh, and like I think this film drops too many like uh, important uh, like things just sort of and just like yeah. lets them go. Yeah, I, I see what you mean, and I think the third act in particular really struggled to find like a very coherent way to resolve the plot, and in that struggle, they like invoke this like huge crazy uh result which is like destroying all computers or something without uh really i don't know without appropriate deliberation yeah i so i think this this is an interesting question i mean you know if you're trying to accurately portray you know scientists or nerds or tech people like they're gonna say a lot of things that have like major real life impact and they're gonna like use technical terms to describe them very dispassionately uh, it's it's kind of started bugging me more when people say things with like, you know, very like ponderously and with a sense of great foreboding in <laughs> shows or movies that they they wouldn't yeah. actually in real life. Like I, I'm watching the new like Netflix uh, George Clooney directed movie Midnight Sky, and there's like a you know uh, a point where they're having to reroute their spaceship through like a you know some sort of uh, unmapped region of space, and you know they're kind of like ship co-captain or like assistant captain like walks through this 3d visualization of space and he's like but this region and he takes like three steps and walks slowly towards it and like gestures broadly with his arms is entirely unmapped and it was like there's such a long walk for a small drink of water and it's like no dude that guy would have been like i mean we're gonna have to redirect the spaceship through an unmapped region of space i don't know if i'd advise that captain it would be like totally different and you know the midnight sky totally veers in the opposite direction into corniness. But yeah, maybe, you know, this movie went, this went a little too far in the matter of fact direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think you, you almost, when you're subvert, when you're actively subverting a lot of tropes, uh, I feel like you kind of need to like, um, prove that you're like part of that trope before you can subvert it. If that makes sense. What do you have in mind? Um, like I'm sort of thinking about um, transcendence a little bit. Like you know that scene in the first Avengers movie when uh, like the United Nations or 
the sort of League of Shadowy Illuminati like sends a nuke to New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, like that Nick Fury is like talking to them in their like big monitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it it seems to me like Transcendence is kind of like, what if they did that? And what if uh, they actually just nuked New York City? And like it turned out that the Chachari were actually nice people uh, trying to like <laughs> clean up our like trash and litter, right? Like, what if it turned out Loki was actually just cleaning up litter and uh, trying to solve some like income inequality, uh, and like uh, the Illuminati were scared and nuked New York City. Um, and I, I think to a certain extent, if you wanted to do that, like that, that's a that's a big subversion. But you you do need to like have the like people wrestling with the moral consequences of like oh no like you need like tony stark like begging or nick fury like begging them not to like send out the uh the fighter jets or something rather than just like oh yeah let's just uh get a beer and it's like yeah that sounds good let's uh let's shut down the entire world economy and immediately make it so that every person who has a pacemaker is dead right like yeah right you have to tell the audience how to feel to some extent for it to for it to work dramatically and you can't tell them how to feel if you don't want to take a stance on the the core ethical issues at hand yeah which this movie doesn't seem to want to yeah yeah it doesn't depict anyone weighing the implications of this like everyone with pacemakers presumably die yeah in fact they specifically are listing like all the devices that'll go out uh you know that'll be destroyed when the virus is uploaded and they say like you know three just like consumer devices and i'm like in no way in no universe would the next thing be like oh you know like yeah rebreathers that like you know people are on icus but you guys even know who the person is that killian murphy was talking to in that bar no like i don't know i think it might be an unnamed character wow because like like maybe some other fbi agent that is just never is he even is killian murphy fbi i believe so it doesn't yeah, but like, i mean if, if you're uh, legitimately, if you're making a decision that's going to like disrupt all life for all humans, like you got like like you got to let the president know. Like the president probably should say yes there. You know, like probably. Yeah. Or at least someone who has a name. You know, like <laughs> I, I like like it just seems a little bit weird that like a low-ranking FBI official can like shut down the entire world economy. I mean, it also seems a little bit weird that like. Uh, uh, random shirtless people can take over the capital, but <laughs> it, it, it seems a little bit weird. It seems a little bit off. You do. They had some quality costume game like yesterday. I don't know if you saw some of the photos. Oh yeah. But I mean, some of the most interestingly dressed people I've seen in a long time. I don't mean to downplay the seriousness, but there was some really just nothing. A plus cosplay. <laughs> Okay, are you? Uh, I, I'm interested in reading out loud this uh, review or the summary of this particular review on Rotten Tomatoes. So, uh, this is Alyssa Wilkinson writing for Christianity Today. It's a positive review, one of the few positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes for Transcendence 2014. Here it is. <clears throat> Transcendence becomes weirdly successful as a sort of cockeyed analogy for the gospel and the painful, tragic, violent beauty of the incarnation and Christ's crucifixion. That's wow. who likes Transcendence. I mean, that's what Wally was going for. <laughs> he nailed the demo. The, the painful, tragic, violent beauty of the incarnation of Christ's crucifixion. Okay, so I think there is kind of something interesting here, which is like, if figuring out, or like interpreting Will's personality is 
don't know, kind of uh, not like an open question, but like it's kind of strange. He's very like stoic and very like doesn't have like a reaction to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what we're really supposed to make of that. And I feel like it's not as simple as he's just a computer now and not really will anymore. But, like I, I don't know. I don't really know what Johnny Depp was going for in portraying like this coldness in the way that he did. This does touch on something that to give the, the movie you know even more un- potentially undeserved credit or maybe deserved we'll never know like there's one scene at the beginning essentially where we see johnny depp in kind of full charm mode yeah, yeah see, he's like, very charming very charming he's famously charming person he's like <laughs> absolutely i mean obviously cancel out the recent controversy so i think i think he's maybe uncanceled uh i it, we don't need to get into it, but I believe it's now confirmed that Amber Heard maybe fabricated most of the things that he. Wow. Oh really? no, he's. Oh, he was. He was uncanceled briefly. Uh, you know, she like certain things were made up in their divorce proceedings, and then he's been like recanceled in that now he's out of like the Harry Potter movies and things like that. Anyway, yeah, I think he was recanceled because uh, he uh, sued for libel, and that was uh, dismissed. Yeah, that was yeah. Those two things coincided on the same day. Some UK court ruled against him, and he was announced out of the out of the Harry Potter movies. You know, a few hours later, which wow. I, and it was a libel suit. It was like after the, uh, you know, it seems to bear no have no bearing whatsoever on all the domestic view stuff. Uh, very, I mean, I guess all right. The reason, the only bearing that it does have is you know the libel suit was dropped because it was found that what he claimed was libel was actually, you know, had grounds in reality, which was the domestic abuse stuff. So it's kind of like an indirect way of the court saying he is responsible for the domestic abuse or, you know, committed that. But I don't know. It's a, it's a weird situation. Bottom line is he's, you know, he was like a, a very charming movie star kind of actor. He basically turns it on for one scene. And then after that, he's, you know, dying. And which is kind of another interesting point the the yeah. version of Will's brain that the AI was trained on is like him like locked, you know, unable to leave some like old rundown church for a month, uh, you know, like on a hospital bed doing running all these training exercises, you know, 12 hours a day and just like seemingly with zero joy, you know, z- zero joie de vivre. Uh, yeah. Plus, he like knows that he's like, you know, his wife is like over there working at the computer during his like final hours of organic life which you know uh, i don't even know how one would feel about that um especially since he was fully prepared to you know just go out and try to enjoy his remaining month but you know evelyn kind of made the choice for him to go through with this upload maneuver or like attempt the upload maneuver and uh and you know that meant that his last month of life was you know going to be spent in a lot less comfort uh not necessarily doing the things he wants to be doing it's it's an interesting it's an interesting dilemma. Yeah, and it's a little bit sad that like uh, the the film doesn't really like talk about how that experience would have changed him. Right. Besides, just showing like, him moping, moping, yeah. very mopey for the entire training montage. Yeah, and and also, or like how it would have affected his like uploaded like personality, and and, and in general, just the whole like being shot at and being murdered. Like, I feel like that's something traumatic enough that it probably ought to like change how you respond to things. Mm. You could argue that the kind of detached emotionless way that in you know, a robot will uh, behaves for the rest of the movie 
is a function of him experiencing like just being depressed about his impending death like you could imagine wally fister giving direction to death basically saying like all right deliver the line you know where are you going evelyn why are you upset as if you were cripplingly depressed instead of a totally you know a caricature of a malevolent emotionless ai yeah yeah Yeah. now i'm wondering if you go back and watch all those if you could see it through that lens yeah, that he's like a kind of Marvin the paranoid android. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's some kind of dynamic like that where it's he's not a cold utilitarian. He's actually like uh, depressed or like sad or like very I don't know some kind of emptiness. Yeah. Depressed, tortured genius. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more it's more in like that tortured genius vein almost. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh maybe this movie or like is like the, the best. weight of using his power responsibly is like too much to bear or something like that but it's it never really uh that's yeah that would have been so good if they if they'd really leaned into that yeah that uh you know tortured genius with the weight of the world on his shoulders and kind of like you can mark that with a very like subtle change in the performance yeah uh you know with like you know do a close-up on robot johnny depp like on some monitor on the wall and like let him really act the hell out of it I, yeah. Oh like, man. Wait. This is the real missing scene. The missing scene in Transcendence is just a shot of Will. Somehow we see him like by himself as a supercomputer, like debating with himself about like what to do and like struggling with some internal issue. Yeah. Evelyn like walks in on him or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh that would have been wild. Well, maybe there is there is still room here to uh, you know improve on the runaway super intelligence genre. I'd love yeah. to see it. I mean, I, I think to a certain extent what makes Will such an uninteresting character is perhaps the same reason uh, like Jesus Lady liked it so much, which is I, I think they probably noticed that Will is kind of acting like a Christ figure. I mean, he yeah. uh, gets killed, like is about to die, is reborn, uh, has God powers, and uh, ultimately is loving and good, right? though sometimes misunderstood and acts in mysterious ways. I mean, like, it's very literally Will is Jesus. Um, Yeah, and, like, like, people lining up to get healed is, like, extremely... uh, Oh, yeah. And, like, like, when he... It invokes, like, a healer. When he, like, uh, like, gives back sight to someone, like, it is it is so, like, on the nose, like, Will is Jesus. Um, And, like, to a certain extent, like, Jesus is a little bit boring. I mean, it's kind of the same way like Superman is a boring superhero because like he's kind of just like stoic, good and nice and stoic and like not a not a very entertaining character. Um, well, because like you don't really see what's going on inside, right? Like Will's head. The the entertaining part is what society chooses to do with Jesus, where uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in both the biblical case and in Transcendence twenty fourteen, they kill him. So, when I when you first read the review from uh, Alyssa Wilkinson, yeah. I thought that the death, I mean, this was, all right, I thought the death and resurrection that was being referred to was what happened at the very end. Ah, uh, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are kind of two, right? There are two deaths in Transcendence. He, there, there's the sort of dying and being reborn at the beginning, and then there's society crucifying him at the end, and... In Jesus' narrative, there's are one and the same, and in Transcendence, there's two different things, so it doesn't right. perfectly line up. Yeah, it's like Act One is the is the classic Jesus Jesus narrative. Then if you know he dies, 
and you know comes back to life and then says a few words and then flies up to heaven slash the cloud yeah but well, then, yeah you know, that sort of does happen yeah he goes into the cloud and then he still speaks to his believers yeah exactly but then yeah you know basically transcendence is putting putting in acts two and three of the uh right. hypothetical jesus narrative here maybe the book of mormon i don't know he comes back and just spends two years building robots i don't know what's in the book of mormon i assume that's it that, I but, think that is, you're right <laughs> but the all right there's something we haven't talked about at all which i have truly no way of how no idea how to interpret this which is like the final shot or one of the final shots you know paul bettany again three years after the downfall of society uh and all you know all technological society is walking around will Castor's garden and then it does a slow zoom on a puddle and there are nanites you know yeah. hanging out in the puddle what is what is that so i believe um what that's supposed to mean is that somehow uh like when uh uh will like sent uh, like created the rain cloud of nanites uh he kind of like spread his seed all throughout the world uh and you'll notice that like in the beginning of the movie he's like setting up his faraday cage um so that faraday cage means that like uh, in his sanctuary uh weird electromagnetic signals like um, for instance, uh, the messages from the virus wouldn't go inside. And so somehow he has like uploaded uh, himself and somehow maybe Evelyn as well, even though that's a little bit like a chronological, uh, before the virus uh, came and wiped everything else out. And so he just has his like little part of the sanctuary that he can, he and Evelyn can live happily ever after, unambitious, uh, like a flower. Yeah, I think we're supposed to believe that both of their consciousnesses are hanging out in that puddle in the nanites. Okay, yes. I do think it is not a chronological, since Will said, well, I don't know if this is what you're referring to, Kevin, but Will said, I can either heal her or upload her, and he didn't heal her, so he must have uploaded her. Yeah. Well, but I I guess the thing is that, like, uh, the thing about the Faraday cage is, like, uploading wouldn't really do anything. You would have to like upload and also rain right and there wasn't really a rain before the virus i guess that makes yeah. sense okay you're saying that the yeah okay they would have had to have uploaded evelyn and then trans you know downloaded her onto some particle uh, assuming like instantaneous upload and download speeds i'd be willing to grant them that there could already have been some nanites in in the puddle since they yeah. did show a rainstorm and like it's kind of fuzzy on time so like maybe a few days had passed and you know, the nan- like the nanites already got into those rivers that like, you yeah. know, weren't near Bumfuck, Texas or wherever, wherever they were. So like they'd traveled some, some unspecified amount of distance. Yeah. Um, but but uh, it, it's my impression that like the virus also got rid of all the nanites. Uh, and so the only nanites that survived were the ones that were under that Faraday cage in right. the sanctuary. The only Faraday cage in the world, obviously. Well, I mean, who, ha- who else has an outdoor Faraday cage? Well, why would it have to be I, I guess actually, so well, so that it can have it, so it's in rain. Oh, oh man! I mean, I, I guess someone walked into their house. I guess like every gorilla, every gorilla cage is probably inadvertently like a place that Will Caster's hanging out. Right. Around they still hanging out. And they and you know they're all self-replicating. So like, I guess it's we're led then led to believe it's an active choice on their part to remain, you know, an agnostic observer of the world yeah. so really i would say this movie is really arguing for isolationism 
they are choosing to remain fully separated from the concerns of the world. Like, right? yeah. Or like a, a reason why like God doesn't like come back to earth because uh, like his only son uh, was killed the last time he was sent. Hmm. But they have to have some sense. I mean, this is this also just feeds straight back into the God narrative, but they have to have some sense of the suffering that was caused <laughs> by the fact that the virus destroyed all technology. Yeah, uh, but they did. Too. Wow, it's the flood too. Huh. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. That's right. The rain that destroyed all of society. But here I guess yeah, it doesn't really line up though, because like the flood the intent of the flood in the Bible was to kill everyone on earth and like start over from scratch. Whereas here that to was wipe the out un- the sin. Yeah, yeah. The, here that was the unintended or not unintended, but that was like the sacrifice made to kill God. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's, so it's the golden compass as well. Yeah. I mean, okay. I mean, you could say that if you're arguing a flood metaphor now, then instead of wiping out the sin, it's kind of equating the sin with technology, which, you know, is a pretty clear statement. Like technology is the original sin. Yeah, I guess. But then, yeah, couple it with a killing God thing. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't try to make this a flood metaphor. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it just doesn't fit. <laughs> How y'all feeling? I think we're pretty close to having broken down everything that can be discussed in this movie. I'm pretty happy about. Uh, who do you think uh, all the characters are? Like, like who are the real life people that each of the characters represents? Hmm. Elon like, Musk was a big enough caster? profile at this point, right? Yeah, he kind of even looks like Elon Musk. It's true, like, a little bit. So, a bit about the background of this. This movie was all right. The screenplay was written by Jack Paglin. This guy, it was his first screenplay uh, ever. And, you know, he wrote it probably in 2011 or 2012. It immediately gets on the blacklist. Do you guys know what the blacklist is? I learned about it when I was looking at Wikipedia earlier in the podcast. Okay. It's like the list that's just maintained by some guy. The list of all the best unmade like, screenplays. What is it? Is it like a Notion page? Like, I think it's just, yeah, some guy publishes it to his website. Oh, you know what it is? It's a survey. Uh, I never looked into the details here. It's an annual survey of, yeah, the most liked screenplays not yet produced. And I guess it's just like the heads of all the studios, a survey of studio and production company executives. So it was on the 2012 blacklist, uh, which, you know, basically means this guy moved fast. Like, (laughs) you know, the narrative version of the narrative that I've been, you know, fitting this into is like, you know, in ImageNet, uh, come you know comes out in like it is early 2012 I want to say or AlexNet you know kind of like cracks image classification and then everyone loses their mind uh, and so this guy basically saw that and you know projected like becoming like massive interest in you know transhumanist AI stuff and just had the screenplay like done and dusted by 2012 and then it gets picked up by Wally Fister shortly thereafter. The only other major credit here, he, you know, wrote a pilot for some series that never, uh, you know, went to a series called Roadside Picnic. And then he uh, is the, has story credit on Alien Covenant. What does story credit mean? It's basically the kind of like goes hand in hand with screenplay credit, where if you just come up with the broad strokes of the story, you'll get a story credit and screenplay is more granular. Okay. So like... If you if there's an adaptation of a book or something, the writer of the book will get a story credit, and then it gets converted into like a real screenplay by someone else, and that person gets screenplay credit. But that's another movie that you know 
you could do a deep dive into the problems with this guy's screenwriting approach because it's another one that like you know has a lot of ideas you know is like a good successor to, to prometheus it's kind of a sequel to prometheus which also has a lot of ideas but like you know very very minimal dramatic tension uh which is why it was also not well reviewed critically but good for this guy so do you think that um transcendence would make more sense if it were released today uh than if it were released six years ago no um uh yeah i don't I, do we think it doesn't make sense or do you just mean like in commercially like would people be more down for it um well i, I guess like would the ideas be more relevant um because to a certain extent when when this came out it was a lot of like uh it was a lot of like kind of vaguely hypothetical things um, that weren't really um, things that people actually had to wrestle with. Like AI ethics weren't that discussed of a topic and they weren't really deemed that necessary. Uh, or like it, it wasn't like seen as this thing that was like something that people actively have to worry about. Um, likewise, uh, like brain uploading was like something that was hypothesized, but it wasn't something that like, like you couldn't see uh, like a video of a pig actually like having like their brain uploaded. Um, there's like a lot of things about, uh, and the Elon Musk cameo would probably be worth more now. Um, things like that. Um, I yeah. feel like uh, to a certain extent, Prometheus, uh, not Prometheus, uh, Transcendence uh, is, is a bit more topical uh, now uh, than it was back then. Because you, interesting. So as a point of uh, relevance here, the kind of classic Elon Musk interview where he says he's afraid of AI and treats it as an existential threat came out in November 8th, 2014, or November 18th, 2014. And like I remember this making waves and, you know, him oh, getting wow. taking a lot of flack for it. And then this was before, you know, that kind of philosophy, you know, a couple of years later leads him to start OpenAI and now OpenAI kind of by extension, you know, it has its own like obvious major legitimacy coming from the things it's created, which kind of yeah. retroactively validates, you know, these concerns. Yeah, um, like like people weren't really afraid of AI labs back then, yeah. right? Whereas now we have like uh, DeepMind and OpenAI where uh, OpenAI has all these sort of uh, vaguely scary things that can theoretically be used for fake news. There's all these like uh, GANs that can create photorealistic faces. Uh, there's um, like DeepMind and its ability to fold proteins uh, and uh, also beat every single human uh, at Go. Like none of that stuff was there when this movie came out. Uh, and, and since then, uh, AI labs are so much more of a credible uh, like shift. Hmm. I feel it's I, I feel like I would take the exact same data and arrive at the exact opposite conclusion, which is that this would this movie would feel behind its time instead of ahead of its time. And the fact that it came out right on the cusp of that shift should have worked in its favor is what I, what I would expect. Maybe it came out six months too early. Maybe if this came out, you know, it if came it, out in April. If, if it, it came, came out, out like the weekend after Elon Musk's <laughs> comment on whatever podcast that was, that would have been ideal timing for them. Right. Exactly. Here, I have one miscellaneous idea about a missed opportunity in the screenplay that I think uh, uh, that I, I this was sparked hearing Kevin talk just now. Uh, one of the things that people talk about, you know, if you read 
yeah, when people talk about like AI and AI safety on the internet, there is this sort of meme or tend to talk about it in terms of like letting the AI out of the box. And that's like, you know, the big the singular moment of when it, when it escapes or not. And if we look in the movie at when that happens, you know, it, uh, it's when uh, Kate Mara is uh, pulling up outside in her car and she's going to cut the power and, you know, Evelyn hit upload on Will and we see the progress bar and then the whole, that whole little exchange, that whole little sequence of just the tension of like, oh, is he going to escape the lab or not? Last for like five seconds is that whole exchange when we realize, ooh, I wonder if he's going to make it. And then we find out a little while later that he did. Whereas I think uh, if you could rewrite the screenplay to draw that tension, because that's a really good source of tension, right? You could draw that out over a much longer sort of like chase sequence where they chase Will into like one corner of some computer into another corner of some other computer. And eventually after an extended like electronic I don't know, you'd have to come up with a new term because it's like the substitute of a car chase. Uh, you could have a digital car chase after which he finally escapes. And not drawing it out is a, is a big missed opportunity. I agree with that in spirit. <laughs> but, you know, I've seen hackers that tries to do these kind of, you know, the movie Hackers tries to do this kind of thing with like, mm. you know, programmers out hacking each other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess it, it was pretty successful dramatically uh because it was one-sided i would say you know it's kind of the main character zero cool like hacks this thing and is you know you know uh there's some visual representation like uh that he's accessed it but then someone else like counter hacks him and kicks him out of the system and you know he sees this little like gif of a skull and crossbones laughing at him and stuff like that mm -hmm. and there's like these very corny ways of like of how they depicted that but you don't know who the other party is who's counter hacking him if you just had, you know, two sets of established characters, like, you know, you just keep on swapping back between Rebecca Hall and Kate Mara, you know, staring intently at their computer screens and like swap back and forth and play dramatic music and zoom in closer and closer. I, you I know. It doesn't have to be so abstract. It can be like there are several computers in several different corners of the lab. And as they, you know, instead of cutting power from the outside, you know, they come in and they smash one computer and then Kate Mara looks around frantically to see if it's connected to anything else. Uh, mm. And they go on this sort of, like Kate Mara experiences it physically, whereas Johnny Depp experiences it digitally. Could have been that. Yeah, that's good. I, w I like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's lots of, you're right. There's lots of ways of having, uh, having the ticking clock be, you know, have some physical manifestation. Yeah. Yeah. While, you know, it's uh, the actual upload is happening. They could have introduced some cleverness where like, they think that, you know, the quantum computer is where the upload is happening from. But really, you know, Rebecca Hall, like, duct tapes an Arduino to the bottom of her desk and they don't find it in time. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah. Would have loved to see that. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Uh, I felt like one issue with, um, or, or one thing about the movie, not necessarily an issue, is that um, the character whose perspective that you sort of see this movie from is like a combination of Paul Bettany's and... Uh, Rebecca Hall's or Evelyn's um, in that like uh, uh, Paul Bettany is the narrator um, for the like sort of prologue and epilogue but like really it's kind of Evelyn's story uh, from Evelyn's perspective and, and uh, as opposed to Lucy where like the entity that's like transcending 
uh, sees every it, like you see it from their perspective. Um, uh, Will is just kind of like a secondary character that you kind of observe, and and you never really get a very good sense of like what Will is feeling. Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel like it, it, the the movie misses out by like not having that perspective. I agree. It is, you can see academically speaking, Wally Pfister, you know, looking at Lucy and looking at some of the reviews, though, it, of course, he got much better reviews than this, you know, being, you know, I basically saying to himself, I really want to avoid the emotionless protagonist problem that you get if you set, you know, if the runaway AI is the protagonist of your story. And, you know, on paper, I'm sure he was like, oh, yeah, this is great. We're like, you know, dealing with like a, you know, a, a grieving wife who, you know, maybe is coming to terms with the fact that her husband is truly dead and, you know, an AI ethicist who's literally kidnapped by terrorists and needs to struggle with moral quandaries. Like, you know, this thing's dripping with, with dramatic tension compared to Lucy, where she doesn't have any facial expression after 15, the 15 minute mark in the movie. Yeah, but she beats a lot of guys up. But she beats a lot of guys up, you know, and it ended up getting much better reviews and being far more commercially successful. <laughs> but yeah, I do agree uh, in spirit. Well, guys, I think that is about all I have to say. Uh, any closing thoughts, Joel? I think I came into Transcendence expecting to not like it as much as Lucy, and I actually like Transcendence more than Lucy. There's more in Transcendence than there is in Lucy. Because it's a longer movie? <laughs> that is true. You can't get much shorter than Lucy and be theatrically released. <laughs> like 89 minutes. I think this movie is excellent, and it really just over the course of this episode, like we kept on peeling back layers that, it, that hadn't even occurred to me at the time. Yeah. Like it's really, the more you sit on this, the better it gets. And uh, yeah, it's a shame. This one needs some reevaluation. It deserves to be seen better by history. I'd say. Yeah. I, I feel like this movie wasn't particularly good, but it, it doesn't, uh, it hasn't been analyzed as much as I think it deserves. It does feel like the kind of movie that I'd expect to have a resurgence in popularity like YouTube YouTubers would be making videos about it and like, you know, being like, you know, we really need to like look back at this one. Like, you know, I'm trying to think of what of what movies have this kind of cult following, even if they were seen bad at you know, seen as bad at the time. But, you know, film YouTube just collectively has the ability the ability to like resurrect yeah. these like very intense fandoms for um for movies like this one. I don't think this it one doesn't really support a fandom though. It's not even when it's appreciated appropriately, it's not that kind of but that's why it would. That's why it attracts, you know, some narrow band of people who are willing to go to the mat for it. So the, the conclusion is, we need to become YouTubers. We need to expand. We need, we need expand. more compute power, <laughs> and then we can reinvigorate transcendence and popular imagination. Uh, what are we going to talk about next week? Oh damn! Is there any more shining examples of 2014 transhumanism media? I mean, her is the obvious, like fill in the blank. I would be down for her. For her. <laughs> so there's also uh, Ghost in the Shell. Uh, oh, yeah. was always mentioned uh, yeah. earlier. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. This, uh, let's go back to Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ghost in the Shell. Is that, what, 2017 it came out? Yep, 2017 ScarJo as a robot. I am more than happy to lock that in. So next week, Ghost in the Shell, if we do actually end up recording within a week. Uh, till then, I am uh, Colin. I'm at Colin Hacks on Twitter. Joel is at GustafJT. That's G-U-S-T-A-F-J-T. Kevin is at Matter 15 
Uh, this has been Bytes Camera Action. See you, folks. Yeah. Partially because, you know, you gotta after the theme music ends, you gotta have the little closing zinger for the people who bother to stick around to the end. Like the after credit scene. Uh do you have a shawarma? We're gonna have a shawarma every episode, baby. Uh, it's actually been a really long time since I've had a shawarma. I, I, I could really use a shawarma.